0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theatre Group podcast. I'm Doug Baker, Center Theatre Group's producing director, and I'll be your guest host for this episode. Through my role at the organization, I work closely with artistic director, Michael Ritchie, to bring productions to our three theaters, the Amundsen Theater, Mark Forum, and Kirk Douglas Theater. Our guest on this episode of 30 to Curtain is James Lapine, who's the writer and director of Falsettos, which is on stage at the Amundsen Theater, April 16 through May 19, 2019. James is a multiple Tony Award winning writer and director, having helped create such Broadway classic musicals as Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Passion, and the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. He is a longtime collaborator with composers Stephen Sondheim and William Finn. Simply put, James Lapine is a Broadway legend and we're honored to have him here at Center Theatre Group to discuss his Tony-nominated revival of Falsettos and the musical's intriguing history. I hope you enjoy the conversation and we look forward to seeing you at the theater. We're thrilled to have James Lapine back with Center Theatre Group with Falsettos. We first brought this important work to Los Angeles audiences in 1994 at the Doolittle Theater. In fact, we were the Amundsen at the Doolittle in those days. James, I thought it might be fun for us to think back to that production just for a moment before we talk about some other things and uh, just run through some of our memories of that that production. Uh, My recollection of that production is with your support and guidance, uh, CTG was able to reassemble the original cast. And we had, uh, as I recall, pretty much the entire original cast, including the amazing Michael Rupert, Stephen Bogardus, Chip Zine, Barbara Walsh, uh, Heather McRae, and Carolee Carmelo. What are some of your memories, recollections of that production?
1: Well, in uh, about 1978, Bill Finn and I were both working at Playwrights Horizons, which was, uh, which was a burgeoning Uh, off-Broadway theater before off-Broadway had really exploded the way it has now. And um, I was a bit of a neophyte at the time, Um, did my first play ever there um, called Table Settings, and he did a one-act musical called In Trousers with a character named Marvin at the center. And Andre Bishop, who ran the theater, um, introduced us and suggested that we work together, and Bill had been noodling around with a sequel to In Trousers, um, which was originally called Four Jews in a Room Bitching. Um, and uh, he asked me uh, if I would direct it, having really only done about two or three plays in my whole life and never having done a musical. Um, of course, I said yes. And um, we started um, as in those days, it was so different. There was a little 90-seat theater they had upstairs, and um, Andre just said, well, I'll give you a month to develop your show and a month to put it on. And um, so we started really basically with just about four songs and four characters. Um, And I was the one who suggested that he introduce the child, the, the bar mitzvah boy, Jason, into the proceedings. And basically, I helped develop the storyline with Bill, and we worked closely together and took those four songs and, and worked outward from there and created what's essentially now the first act of Falsettos, and that was called, as I mentioned, March of the Falsettos. And um, fortunately, it was a wonderful success and, and moved to a couple of theaters and uh, had a, a lovely life.
0: Even had a tour, as I recall. And, yeah, and I
1: think we were in LA yes, at the Doolittle. and just the Doolittle March of the Falsettos, yes. right? Right. And um, in those days, it was the Huntington Hartford. It hadn't oh, been really?
0: named the Doolittle yet. Uh-huh. Jimmy Doolittle was running the theater. It wasn't until later that oh, uh, it interesting became the Doolittle. Yes, it was. The By Huntington the way, does it is it still in
1: existence? The it, theater. It,
0: it is. It is now the. Uh, Ricardo Montabond Theater, uh-huh. and uh, is run by an organization uh, known as no, so- no Sotros.
1: Oh, excellent. It's wonderful how theater is really growing and yeah. continuing to grow in L.A. Um, we were uh, in our very early, mm, almost 30, I think we were about late 20s, about that time, and we worked with Michael Rupert, Chip Zion, and Stephen Bogardis at the time. And um, as the 80s hit us, uh, particularly the AIDS crisis, um, several years later, Bill and I started thinking, well, what happened to these people? And uh, we then, at the end of the 70s, started working on what became Falsettoland, or a sequel to March of the Falsettos. We regrouped and uh, got the same players together again and um, the show is actually only set two years later um, than the original so we didn't want to put it in the AIDS uh, crisis in the middle of it we did it just at that moment when it was coming into people's consciousness Um, and that um, production went very well was very well received had a also an independent run of its own. And then eventually, uh, Hartford Stage it was always our hope and intention of putting the two together. And Hartford Stage did that with uh, a, a completely new production by Graziella Danielle, uh, and uh, renamed Falsettos. And um, it did so well. And uh, we a Broadway producer came along and Uh, It was a very difficult decision, but Bill decided to ultimately go back to the original team uh, to mount it on Broadway, and um, that's the 1994 production. And then uh, I would say about three years ago, I was at a benefit um, at the public theater, and I happened to be sitting next to uh, a theater owner, Jordan Roth, who owns Duke Jampson Theaters. I would never met him, and we were making small talk, as one does, and I just casually act, asked him, what's on your bucket list? You know, what do you really, really want to produce? And he just said, funny, you should ask, falsettos. And I said, okay, I'm I'm in, let's do it. And uh, he uh, conjoined with Lincoln Center Theater, because before we would do it with them, we we, we had to say, you know, we really owe it to Andre Bishop, who... Got the whole ball rolling and produced those first two shows. When he was a playwright. When he was a playwright. Of course,
0: having run Lincoln Center Theater Company for many, many years. Right.
1: And they wanted to be involved. So Jordan and Lincoln Center produced it on Broadway. And uh, and here we are in Los Angeles. And that's when I saw it uh-huh. and uh, expressed
0: our interest oh, to thank you. Uh, <laughs> have it returned to Los Angeles. You know, I was checking dates, James, and uh, in fact, it was uh, not just 25 years ago that the production played uh, Amundsen and the Doolittle, but 25 years ago this month. Wow. We are, I think, literally two weeks away from it being precisely 25 years. That's so wild. we can refer to this as our 25th anniversary
1: oh, boy, it makes me feel old, but I'm happy, <laughs> though, that I can be here. You look very well. Well, thank you. <laughs> Podcast do me justice. Uh, yeah, you don't have to look at me. You know, it's sort of interesting, though. It was a bit of a crapshoot because we were, weren't sure just how it would play. Uh, sadly, um, one of the reasons I wanted to do it was I was I have a, a 23-year-old assistant who had graduated from NYU in theater. And I took her to see The Normal Heart, which was uh, being revived on Broadway. And at intermission, she just looked at me and said, well, I kind of know about the AIDS epidemic, but was it really like this? And I thought, oh, boy, you know, that's powerful. That's a reason to to do these shows, to remind people of what we went through and what existed. And it's part of our history. And um, but we weren't sure how how this one was going to play. And. um, It was just kind of a thrill because we had certain people who were coming back to see it, who had seen it originally, people who brought their kids back because they wanted them to see it, and a whole new generation of people who knew nothing about it and, frankly, nothing about the era. And um, it doesn't really matter. Um, Oddly enough, it feels so contemporary. And the HIV part of it is actually kind of a small part. It's really a, a story about people struggling to figure out who they are and their sexual identity and how they fit into the world and how you raise a kid and uh, what you teach your children and and how you grow, et cetera. And um, that was maybe the most heartening thing of all Mm. about reviving the show. I was struck uh, when I saw the preview last evening
0: by, uh, in particular, the song that the character Trina sings just before the March of the Falsettos number, mm-hmm. where she's singing about mm. the men in the world and mm. how much control men have mm. in the world. Uh, I'm not remembering the lyric exactly, yeah. you could help us with that, but that uh, struck me as a song, um, a thought, um, a comment so, so current for what we're going through. Totally,
1: right she she is the only female in the first act, and. Um she very much represented a kind of woman back uh which existed in the 70s you know um women i knew and grew up with who ended up getting married very young and having children and not really being part of the feminist movement and at, until the feminist movement took hold and questioning their lives and their relationship with men and their the mothers that raised them to be subservient to men and 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 to not have careers of their own and whatnot. So that song is so potent today to listen to and hasn't really lost its power.
0: Very much so. Yeah. I'd like to go back to what you mentioned earlier regarding how you came to the theater. Ah, okay. Uh, Am I correct that uh, you were trained as a graphic designer and worked as a graphic designer for the early part of your career?
1: Correct, in fact, I got my MFA at CalArts and um, actually, with more of a concentration in photography, oh. which was uh, what I hoped to, to make as a career. But I also took many, several graphic design courses because it interested me. And I also love art. And um, left California to go back to New York and have, you know, the usual odd jobs and was doing freelance photography work. And I really didn't enjoy freelancing as a photographer actually i found it extremely stressful because this was pre-digital era ladies and gentlemen and um (laughs) when you were on assignment you know to go out and take a photo of whatever and bring it run it over to new york magazine or village voice where i was working you you didn't know what you had you had to run into the dark room you had to process it hope it worked out so I kind of uh, segued over into graphic design because it uh, to keep my photography kind of pure, I really had hoped to be a, a fine art photographer. And uh, that's when I began doing more graphic design work, which oddly enough, led me in a peculiar way to the theater because I was um, hired uh, by Yale University School of Drama to design their magazine, which was called Yale Theater. I won't bore you with how that happened. But uh, it was just a freelance job. Um, But by uh, doing that, they, Bob Brewstein, who ran the dean of the school, loved what I had done with the magazine and created a full-time position for me at Yale. So I left New York and went to work at the university and um, taught a class in advertising design for the students in the theater who were studying uh management basically and um they bob did something bob brustein did something interesting in the month of january he asked everyone in the school uh to take it was two weeks or something um hiatus to do something outside of their area of expertise so the um Actors had to build the sets, uh, professors involved as well were writing plays. or It was, a, I thought, it was kind of a brilliant way to yes. get people sure. out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and, and feel what it's like to be on the other side of what they're doing. And my uh, graphic design students said, you should direct a play. Because my interest in theater at that point was very, very downtown, arty. Robert Wilson, Richard Foreman, which was not in vogue at the Yale School of Drama, so they found that very interesting. So I said, well, if you find me a a play, I'll direct it. And one of the students found a play called Photograph. Uh, Well, of course, the title immediately got me, and it was by Gertrude Stein, and it was a five-act play, but it was only three pages long. Goodness. So I thought, well, this will be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And we did it as a theme and variation, uh, meaning that we did it about, I don't know, eight times over and over and over again in very different ways, one of which was my fascination with the painting uh, Sunday on the island of La Grande Jatte by Seurat. So that was one of my eight inspirations as a visual to do this play. And the woman who uh, produced it was actually a stage manager. She said, you should do it in New York. And I said, well, I don't know how to do it in New York. And also we don't have any money. And a close friend of mine was doing her uh, dissertation for a PhD on Jasper Johns. And she said, well, you know, Jasper Johns loves Gertrude Stein. So like a yo-yo, I wrote him a letter. I said, I've got this play about Gertrude Stein. And uh, they sent me 2,500 bucks. So we went to a loft in New York and um, another friend of mine, I knew mostly people in the art world, so can I help? And I said, well, you know, I have no idea how you get people to re- review a show. Um, so she just literally picked up the phone and called the lead critic of the New York Times and sweet talked him into coming and seeing the show. And he came and saw the show and gave it a half page rave review in the New York Times and Ironically, suddenly I had a career in the theater. So, It's fantastic. While all these other poor people were paying all that money at Yale <laughs> to learn how to direct, I went and directed something without any experience at all. So it was kind of an interesting story.
0: Absolutely an interesting story. Let's talk a little bit more about Bill Finn, please. Yes. Uh, you've you've worked with Bill on a number of other yes. projects. Yes. Uh, take us through some of those, please.
1: Well, yeah. Um, we kind of parted after March of the Falsettos and came back together again, I think, for Land, And um, I, I'm so old now, I can't keep track of what came what, when. Uh, we worked on um, a show called Muscle, which um, I quite loved. Uh, it was about an, an intellectual who became a bodybuilder, Sam Fussell. It's based on his nonfiction book. And I was so fascinated with that, um, the mind-body thing. And uh, so we worked on that musical. It's interesting because I remember as uh, we were preparing it, talking to my mother-in-law about it, and she went, bodybuilders, ew, I couldn't come. I couldn't sit. I find that really distasteful, you know. And I thought, hmm, maybe that's not such a good thing. <laughs> anyway, we, we tried it out in Chicago. It didn't unfortunately it didn't really fly um but it was a lot of fun and let's see what else have we done we did, did a
0: new brain come next a new brain Maybe. was
1: something that i came into bill was uh working on it with graziella and andre bishop was producing it and he said you know to bill you really need a book writer in here so uh i joined that production uh, and I, and I did not direct it and i helped them uh, create it and write right. it. Right. And I did get to direct it myself at Encores a couple of years ago and oh. it's a terrific show. That I happened. Love the score. I love this That right. happened oddly enough a uh, week after Bill won uh, two Tony awards and Bill's a very eccentric fellow and we all used to just kind of discount his eccentricities as just being part of it but it turned out he had a serious brain injury and uh, a week later he was in the hospital after the Tony Awards, having major surgery. And consequently, he wrote this show, A New Brain, about his experience. And um, it's a wonderful show. Really, really great. And we also uh, did um, 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, another one I didn't come in initially on, but was uh, being tried out in a summer theater. And Bill asked me to come, and I took it over as a book writer, excuse me, as a director, not a book writer. Rachel Schenken did the book, and we had a great success with that. And So Bill and I, um, and we did Little Miss Sunshine together, which was my, having said I'm never going to turn a movie into a musical, I turned a movie into a musical. So there you have it. But we're great friends, and... I've been very, very lucky uh, working with him and Stephen Sondheim almost exclusively because it's unusual to write a musical with only two people doing it. Usually you have often uh, a book writer, a lyricist, a composer, um, you know, before you knew know it, you're sitting in a room with four people trying to put a show together. And it's it's really terrific when it's just two of you. It makes it much, much easier. And. Um, you can keep your vision of what you're doing clear because you have fewer opinions being thrown your way. I have
0: noticed that you uh, work that way. Yeah, pre- prefer to work that way. Yeah, that's uh, didn't I set agree. out. That it just, is unique. Just yeah. kind of
1: turned out that.
0: Yeah, that that's. Well, let's talk about Mr. Sondheim. Yes, I always please. love talking yes. about him. How how did you meet, and what was that like?
1: Well, interestingly enough, I'm writing a book about that. Um, uh, we were, uh, this is an, also an odd story. I was always fascinated with um, uh, a book by Nathaniel West called A Cool Million. It's really a novella, and I thought it would be a great musical. And I was spoke to a producer who I was working at at the time, and he said, who do you think you should could write it? And uh, I said, Randy Newman, because I love Randy Newman. Because I didn't really know musical theater people from, you know, it was right after, Bill and I had worked. And uh, so I came out here to LA and met Randy Newman, who couldn't have been more charming. And he said that, he said it was too dark for him. And I thought, whoa, this is dark for Randy Newman. <laughs> so um, Stephen Graham, who I was working with as a producer, shared an office with a, an elder producer, uh, Lewis Allen, and talked to Lewis and Lewis wonderful said- Wonderful
0: producer, Lewis. Wonderful
1: producer. Um, And Lewis said, what about Steve Sondheim? And Steve had just been coming off of uh, a flop, Merrily We Roll Along on Broadway. And uh, to be honest, I really didn't know much about Stephen Sondheim. I'd only seen one of his shows, uh, which was Sweeney Todd, um, because I didn't really go to the theater that much. And um, I said, sure, I've heard of him. I'll meet him. And that's how we were introduced. Um, And ironically, he had seen uh, the three or shows I had done and uh, uh, I think it was just kissment you know him coming off of a long-term relation working relationship with Hal Prince and I think this offered a different way to go uh, for him and uh, we met about a cool million and he uh, read it and said you know I love I, I I love it I forgot that it's Candide it's basically the story of Candide and I've already done Candide but if you want to talk about doing another project um, you know let's keep talking so
0: and that first musical that you would then uh, collaborated on uh, Sunday in the park with George
1: correct yeah and I it' all comes together here we go of yeah. the uh you know we worked so differently and we just get together and we talk and one day I brought in a bunch of images and I said to him I'm just gonna put some images out on the floor and we sat there and talk about talked a little bit about them. I think he was kind of thinking, what is this? And one of the last images was uh, the Le Grand Jacques painting by Seurat. And we talked about it and I said, you know, look, it looks like a stage set and the proscenium is the frame of the painting. And, um, you know, it was an interesting aspect. If you, if you notice people aren't looking at each other, blah, blah. And um, he said, yeah, Uh, And I said, but there's a character missing. And he went, who? And I said, the artist. And he went, oh. And so that's how it started as an idea. And you continued
0: the relationship, obviously. I mean, Sunday in the Park with George was a huge success uh, for good reason. And um, you then, I think, uh, uh, next up was Into the Woods. Right,
1: which was out here.
0: Out here indeed,
1: well. Well, uh, later, yes.
0: I was yeah. lucky enough at the time that Into the Woods was on Broadway, I was working with the Dodger production. Oh, right. And right. every now and then I would sub in as the company manager uh-huh. to cover your beautiful production of Into the Woods. Uh, that was really it's one of my great memories of working in, on Broadway shows. Oh, on wonderful. Broadway. Yeah. Right. And then uh, in 2002, uh, in fact, Dodger Productions uh, produced the revival, which you directed. Right. And we presented that at the Amundsen Theater on a pre Broadway basis. Yeah. We
1: tried it out here. Yes. Yeah. And
0: then off. And that starred uh, Vanessa Williams. Correct. correct. And uh, certainly not billed as a star, but now certainly a star, Laura Benanti. Yes. With Cinderella,
1: was she not? That's correct. Well. Yeah. It was a nice cast. Uh,
0: very well. Yeah, and a nice production. You have too. quite an eye for casts, so I will, I will well, say that.
1: Thank you. I don't know quite how you,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: first of all, you have to sing Stephen Sondheim's music. So that limits the number of people <laughs> you have to choose from right is off the right? bat. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Predict you like yeah. a Cinderella role, which is a <clears throat> really difficult singing part. So um, it does make it a little bit easier. From the start, because you only have X number of people who can actually sing it. And then you moved on to Passion. Yes. With Stephen. Right. Very challenging piece. Yes.
0: Would you talk a bit about that, please?
1: Yeah. Um, the first two shows um, were regenerated together. Um, um, and Passion was a movie, Passione de More. By Ettore Scola, which was an Italian film that Steve had seen that he had always wanted to do as a musical. Uh, so I watched the movie, and I have to say I was quite sure about it. And um, but of course, discovered that it was based on a Tarchetti novel, uh, which was not translated, and we had it translated. and And I really was taken by the novel more than the movie, and um, that's what we, uh, began doing. And in fact, initially it was going to be, um, 2 one acts, it was going to be passion and then muscle because they're in an ironic way related because passion is about a woman who's anorexic and sickly and passion is about a very different kind of God who has another kind of physical ones, uh-huh. one shrinking and the others enlarging. Um, mm-hmm. and Steve, in fact, wrote a uh, the first song for for Muscle, but Muscle was set very contem- in a very contemporary setting, and he just didn't feel that was his skill set musically. I don't. Th- and also, as we worked on Passion, it kept expanding into really becoming a show unto itself. So that's how that happened. But it was um, it was an interesting and difficult. Uh, there's the J word again. Journey uh, to its its birth. We didn't try it out of town or anything. In fact, it kind of rushed to Broadway rather quickly. And when we did a workshop of it with, you know, our friends and people we knew, uh, everybody was just so excited about it and loved it so much. And of course, the minute we put it on Broadway, it was the complete opposite reception. People were like, what the hell is this? You know, and so it was a really tough preview period finding finding a show that we wanted to do, but that also an audience wanted to see. And um, it asked a lot of an audience that show because it's, it's about love and um, it asks the tough questions about love. And a lot of people, I think, didn't want to really think about that. And it's not an easy easy thing to think about when you get right down to it, you know, attraction, what who we're attracted to, why we're attracted. It almost goes back a little bit to falsettos in that sense of what is a relationship and what's. So it was curious. It's a 19th century. Yeah, Yeah. like Sunday. It's around the same time Mm -hmm. in Italy in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see it. Well, it gets revived occasionally Mm -hmm. um, in New York and I think a little bit here and there. But you haven't gone back to. uh, No, I, 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 I haven't. I don't know that I would either. I think I'm really tired of going back now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this thrilling and you know what a wonderful opportunity as it is in fact we were going to i was supposed to go to london after this to do falsettos and i thought i can't do it anymore it's just i've done it i at my age i need to be doing new things so uh that's... well we're
0: very pleased you did the 2016 revival on Broadway. oh i am too actually on this uh tour because people... i i
1: am of course thrilled that i did it as well frankly i consider it a master work and i mean that quite Genuine. I think it's aged really really well and it's um it's so it's still so fresh I mean structurally and uh everything about it is is kind of like nothing else it's sort of sui generis in that way as musicals go and it has I love its forward energy it kind of just takes you along for the ride you know Indeed. if you don't get on the on the car right away eventually you get sucked into that <laughs> sucked into it, and then it just takes off. Well, James, thank you so much for uh,
0: talking with us today. Thank you so much for coming to Los Angeles to help us launch our five-week engagement of Falsettos. Uh, I'm confident our audiences are going to discover the show. Um, For those new to it, they will discover it and, and be quite taken by it. And for those who are revisiting the show, they will also see the uh, extraordinary work that you've put
1: I was together. so encouraged, uh, and have been, uh, when we did on Broadway, too. How many young people come out for yes. it? And I think musical theater has taken on a life of its own out there. It's wonderful. So thank you for bringing me back and bringing our show back. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited for people to see it. You're
0: very welcome, indeed. You've been listening to 30 to Curtain a Center Theater Group podcast. You can find out more about Falsettos, our organization, and upcoming productions on our website at centertheatergroup.org. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud,